And good morning, Moody Church. It is good to see you today. Ed Stetzer is my name, and we're continuing to work through the book of James. Now, if you haven't joined us for a while, you just were working through the book of James, but maybe the last few weeks you've noticed we've, we had Easter. We didn't go in the book of James there. Been a bit of a tumultuous time in our nation, so we've moved around a bit, but we're back to the book of James. And if you have a Bible or if you're watching online, which means you're everybody, uh, you can actually open another window there or a tab. Let me encourage you too, if you're watching on Facebook or on YouTube, on YouTube, give us a thumbs up or a, and a share. On Facebook, give us a like or a share. That helps people to know what we're doing here as well. But let me also mention, for those of you who are watching around the world, we know that our viewership has exploded drastically over the last few weeks. And as Pastor Bill mentioned, sometimes that might be because your church has not been able to stream. And so you've come to the Moody Church. We're glad you're here. You got to hear the organ if you came early. We, matter of fact, you can come early next week and hear that as well. I got to hear Tim and our worship team. will look to the Word of God together. But let me encourage you, love your pastor and love your church, even if it's not online right now. Make sure you're praying for your pastor. Make sure you're engaging in that community. Uh, Moody Church is a family, so we're checking on one another. We're caring for one another. But if that's not where you are, if you're in Iowa or California or Malaysia, let me encourage you to care for your church and to pray for your pastor as well. James is a book that's written by the half-brother of Jesus by the name of James, and it's sometimes called the Proverbs of the New Testament. And we've been going through it because it really speaks to some of the realities of the faith lived out. And it's seen as we've talked about here as real faith, real life. And today what we're going to talk about is how God forbids favoritism, right? Uh, James is writing because people have an issue. They, um, in this cause, it is, in this sense, it is how they're treating the rich versus how they're treating the poor. But the rich are only his example. He says, suppose this happens. The point here is not just rich and poor, though we will go into that point. The point here is favoritism. James 2, 1 through 3 will be our text, and we'll walk through it together. But don't you at this point dare to even think that this doesn't apply to you. Because you say, well, the supposed example is not my problem. I don't treat the rich differently than the poor. But I think favoritism is the bigger issue. That's what we're going to look at today. My hope is that today you and I will leave with a better understanding that we do actually play favorites. You do and I do. It's kind of part of who we are. And God wants us to know it. He wants us to see it. And he wants us to ask him to help change it. So that's what we're going to look at today. We're going to look at several things. We're going to go quickly through this passage. And the first thing I want us to look to is, first and foremost, is the temptation of favoritism, is the temptation. Because remember, God forbids favoritism. So we're going to start with the temptation of favoritism. And I'm going to read verses 1, 2, 3, and 4. Let's take a look. It says this, Did my brothers, and that's replying to everybody, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing, right, and say, you sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down at my feet, have you not then made distinctions among yourselves? Have you not made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts. Now, the key part of this passage I want us to look at is to remember, well, first two things, right? For example, it says, if a man or suppose a man comes in, and then it ends with this, have you not then made distinctions among yourselves? So we're going to zero in on the question of what it means to make distinctions among ourselves. 
And the example that James is writing here under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit is about finances. It's about a rich man versus a poor man, a rich person versus a poor person. But the bigger point throughout this passage is God is impartial. God has no favorites. He calls us all the same. He changes men and women and causes them to be new in Christ, whether they are rich or poor, whatever their race and ethnicity, whatever their background and failures. Now, you could say a lot of things here under suppose, right? Suppose this happens or suppose that happens. You could say, suppose a young black and a young Asian woman apply for the same job. Suppose a young man of another race comes to pick up your daughter for a date. Suppose somebody with a face tattoo walks in and takes your seat. Suppose you could have a hundred supposes that are listed here. Or what about behavioral things that are maybe sinful, right? You're going to apply here as well. Being judgmental is not because you believe someone has not sinned, not at all. It's when you judge people as if you don't have any sin. So, as a matter of fact, let me say to you, I believe the most dangerous person at Moody Church or at any church is the man or woman that doesn't remember that they, too, are a sinner. Because in doing so, when we forget, it's easy for us to show partiality and treat people differently. And we see it all the time. We can see it on television where you have these shows where people are treated differently based upon their appearance. Uh, you would see people treat differently uh, a thin person versus an overweight person. Um, or maybe someone comes in and is pregnant out of wedlock or maybe takes up the next cubicle or maybe somebody whose lifestyle with which you disagree comes and lives next to you. Now, here's the thing I don't want you to miss. It's not that there's no right and wrong. It's that when you understand God's mercy, that you, a sinner, and me, a sinner, were saved by grace and through faith, the temptation of favoritism tends to drain away. And herein is the challenge, right? So James specifically, let's go back to James, is talking about the rich man who comes in wearing a nice ring, uh, fine clothing, and then a poor man in shabby clothes uh, comes in. Now, let me just say, I don't generally see that as a challenge here that we have uh, not walked through at the Moody Church. Right, right outside the doors, you'll see a phrase, when you come back together, and we will, ever welcome in this house are strangers and the poor. If you know the history, back in the day, D.L. Moody was one of the first pastors not to charge what was called pew rent. Everyone could sit anywhere they want. And so, uh, to the sign, to this day, it says, ever welcome in this house are the stranger and the poor. And what we find is, at Moody Church, we have people who are affluent and well-off, and yes, have nice clothes and we have people who are homeless who come, and we're happy and thrilled to have both in this place without partiality. So we could say, well, Moody Church then is off the hook, right? I could close my Bible and go on to the next passage. But, but it's more than that. It's the temptation of favoritism that is for all of us. And we see this over and over again around the idea of distinctions. We want to make distinctions when God doesn't make distinctions in the same way. Look with me at Romans chapter 3, verses 22 and 23. It says, The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction. So, okay, so why is there no distinction? For all have sinned and fall short 
of the glory of God. So this is really essential that we not miss this, right? The reason that there is no distinction between black, white, Asian, whatever background you may be, there's reasons no distinction between someone who sinned in a way you can see and someone who sinned in a way you can't see. The reason there's no distinction between somebody who's rich and poor, someone who succeeded or failed, here it is, right? We know, here's why, there's no distinction, why? For all have sinned, fall short of the glory of God. Ed Stetzer has sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now I've been saved by grace and through faith, but moving beyond that, what we don't wanna miss is that in God's goodness, that mercy that he has shown us causes us to not live in, with partiality. I don't know, you know, maybe is one sin worse than the other? I grew up in a tradition that I would go uh, on Long Island outside of New York City, and I remember going to the church sometimes to, to confess, and in confessing, I would go into a box and I would sort of say my sins, and then um, the person on the other side of the box would sort of tell me what I needed to do in response to my confession. And it was always interesting to me because I always wondered if like back there, there was a chart on the wall, right? And so that chart on the wall sort of said, okay, you know, um, you know bad thoughts, fought with brother, you know, I'm talking about my own sin here, um, uh, you know, st- stole something from a neighbor, whatever it may be. And then, then he kind of slides down and the chart comes together. And okay, that's this number of prayers that you have to I always wondered what is the basis for my work following this. Here's the good news. That work's actually been done. Jesus died on the cross for your sin and in your place. And so whatever it is where you fall on this chart, if it's a little thing or a big thing in your estimation, first of all, it's all that which separates us from God. But in the midst of your estimation, you might have sinned less than somebody else. But here's the thing I don't want you to miss. The grace of God is real for you and for me, no matter how bad, no matter how good we think we have actually been. Now, here's the thing. Sin is sin. You and I, sinners, your neighbor's a sinner. Uh, White people, black people, Latino people, Asian people, uh, people who are rich, people who are poor, people who live the way you think they should, people who don't live the way they think they should, and sin is sin. There's no scale. There's no grade of sin. Now it's interesting because Gallup, the polling organization, actually does keep uh, a list of the behaviors that Americans describe as sinful. And I thought that was interesting, right? So uh, 89% say um, adultery is sinful. I, I, I'm kind of concerned about the 11%, but um, cloning humans makes 85%. I, I, I imagine that wasn't an issue 20, 30 years ago. Um, and it kind of goes through and it lists these different things. It's, it's pretty fascinating. And it goes on and talks about polygamy. You know, I mean, there's all different things. And you can find out just how big a deal your sin is or it isn't. Because when you get down to the bottom part, you're only around 19% or some people think this or that is sinful. So maybe it's not as bad. Okay. Well, first, sin is sin. God is God. You are a sinner. I'm a sinner saved by grace and through faith. And that means I'm no better and I'm no worse than anybody else. See, for most people watching, the fact that you're no better than anyone else is the news that we may need to hear, right? But for people who may be watching who have done some things that they're ashamed of, that they hide, that they don't want anybody to know, can I say to you, the best news you need to hear is your sin 
is no different to the God of all the universe than mine or anybody else's watching. Romans 10, 12 and 13 puts it this way. There's no distinction between Jew or Greek. Those were the major ethnic groupings that people were sort of uh, wrestling through the distinctions of. There's no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord over all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. I don't want you to miss that. Everyone, let's go on and look at Leviticus chapter 19, verse 15. You shall do no injustice in court. You shall not be partial to the poor or defer to the great, but in righteousness shall you judge your neighbor. Even in court, there's no distinction between the two. Now, here's the challenge. We know in our culture that's not always the case. There are injustices still around us. But this is reminding us over and over again as Christians, it is not right for us to look at and judge on the outer appearance. And it's important for us to work in a society to change systems and structures that continue to uh, perpetuate that very reality. Now, why? Well, right now, because we still see, right? We still see it here. Last week, Pastor Bill mentioned the focus toward Asian and Asian American are experiencing incidences of racism. That's not right. And that should not come from followers of Jesus. Not only should not, that not come from followers of Jesus, followers of Jesus should speak up on it and call it out. Or right now we see this pandemic dispor- disproportionately impacting people in our city who are African-American and Latino at a higher rate, a substantially higher rate than everybody else. As Christians, we want to speak up. We want to change the systems and structures that create such realities. Now, why does that matter? Because we want to be a people who know that we're all sinners. We all need Jesus. The temptation of favoritism is therefore in all of our hearts, but we overcome that because we recognize that Jesus sees us all the same by his grace and through faith. If you're a follower of Jesus, whatever background, whatever sin you've done, whatever your ethnicity, whatever situation is you financially, you are a beloved child, a son and daughter of the most high God. He doesn't see you differently. We ought not to see you differently. Number one, the temptation of favoritism. Number two is the perspective of God. Let's look at the perspective of God for just a moment. And this comes to James chapter two, beginning at verse five. It says this. It says, listen, my beloved brothers, this will be applicable to everyone. The words anthropos mean, in this case, means the whole assembly. Has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom. Now remember the example he's using, suppose or what if is the rich and the poor. So he says, heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him, but you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you are called? I want you to miss this because what's going on here is that James is calling out here. Remember too, this congregation is probably a congregation of predominantly poor people. So he's kind of building on this example. What if, or suppose this is the circumstance of partiality. And so James says, why are you doing this? This doesn't make any sense considering how the rich have treated you, but you have dishonored the poor man. Don't miss that first sentence. Let that dwell and feel free to change the descriptor here. But you have dishonored the person you thought sinned too much. You have dishonored the person of another race. But you have dishonored, whatever it may be, when you show impartiality, you have dishonored. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 26 and 27. It says this, For consider your calling, brothers. 
Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish. God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. So when we look and get a picture and a feel of what God is doing among his people, he is saving men and women who look very different. Now again, even here at this church, we have over 70 nations that worship together. We're cross-generational. We have the rich and we have the poor. And some people say they don't like a multicultural expression. Well, let me just tell you, if you don't like a multicultural church, you're really not going to like heaven because it's got men and women from every tongue, tribe, and nation. It's got the rich and the poor. It's got men and women. It's got people who speak different languages and follow different cultures. And in some way, we can actually see in heaven that they still have those realities because it says men and women from every tongue, tribe, and nation. Still, if you will, identifiable in eternity. So this is why they had um, rich and poor in the church, and they would sometimes seek to care for one another. But there's we should mention, too, there's something in God's heart and something in his character that has a special care and concern for the poor. So we shouldn't be surprised then that James, half-brother of Jesus, would use the poor as a defining example. Zechariah the prophet calls us not to, in Zechariah 7.10, says not to oppress the widow, the fatherless, the sojourner, or the poor. So there's a sense that throughout the pages of Scripture you will see reference upon reference to the poor because... That's sometimes the example. Matter of fact, let me say of the list, the widow, the fatherless, the sojourner, and the poor, you know what they all would have in common? They would be on the poor side of the ledger. They'd be without power. They'd be in need of somebody to speak up for them. So again, we can go continue to see these passages. Let me just quickly go through them. Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 7. For the Lord your God is a God of gods and the Lord of lords, the great, right? The mighty and the awesome God, which is all powerful. Like, great, that's a great list. God is God. God is beyond anything we can comprehend. And then, just casually at the end, who is not partial and takes no bribe? When I grew up, we didn't go to church a lot, but when we went to church, I would pick an Easter, just passed by. I would see sometimes some people that we might have known were up to nefarious deeds in the community. Maybe they had organized criminal activities, and they're there would be a church on Easter, and sometimes they'd big, give big gifts, maybe thinking that somehow God would receive their bribe and they'd be okay. Well, it doesn't work that way. Proverbs 28, 27 says this, Whoever gives to the poor will not want, but he who hides his eyes will get many a curse. Now, now, now remember here, this is really important because I don't want you to miss this, right? So the example that James is using is the example of the poor. But the theme is partiality and favoritism. I don't want to give either inappropriate amount of attention. It matters that James gives the example of the poor. And it matters that this applies to partiality in general. So we've started first by the temptation of favoritism that I face and that you face. We've moved from there, secondly, to the perspective of God. He sees things differently. Then we get to number three, the command of Jesus. Take a look at this. The command of Jesus says this, James 2.8, right? If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. Okay. And you say, Ed, that doesn't say Jesus. That's James, Jesus' half-brother. But the actual word in the royal law, right? It's the royal law, basileokot, 
I said it wrong, basilikos, the royal law. So the royal law here, I don't want you to miss this, is the law that the king set. Who said these words? You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Wait, I know, I know. It's like second grade Sunday school. The answer is always Jesus. And it is, and it was. So Jesus laid out this royal law. This is King Jesus' law. And in Mark 12 is where he gave it. Matter of fact, we'll take a quick look at that. Mark 12, beginning at verse 28, says, One of the scribes came up, disrupting, uh, disputing with one another, seeing he'd answered them well. They said, Which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus answered, here it is, Most important here, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and your strength. But it doesn't end there, right? And then it goes on and says, The second is this, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Wait. The royal law. The king has given us this law. John 13, 34 and 35 says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you, that you also are to love one another. By this all people will know you are my disciple. Love is the right way. Favoritism is the wrong way. So when you meet anybody and everyone and you treat them like Jesus would expect you or to have directed you to treat them, you're going to be living the command of Jesus, the royal law. Now you might be saying at this point, but you don't know my neighbor, Ed Stetzer. My neighbor is just a pain of pains. Um, here's the deal. Your neighbor, you, me, uh, Jay Vernon McGee, very famous radio TV preacher. I used to listen to him when I was younger. I don't know that I've quoted him at a sermon at Moody Church, but here's what he said once. If you knew every sin in my heart, you wouldn't want to hear me preach, Jay Vernon McGee said to his congregation. And the people were kind of shocked. <gasps> he said, if I knew every sin in your heart, I wouldn't preach to you. See, when you recognize the presence of sin that shapes us and the grace that changes us, it's an old preacher saying, it goes like this, the ground is level at the foot of the cross. And when you get that, everybody's the same. People don't need to think of themselves as better, which leads us right into number four. The heart really of our message is the sin of favoritism. Yeah, and it's the sin of favoritism. Racism is a sin. It's treating the rich different than the poor is a sin. It's a sin. I mean, this, well, let's take a look. Let, let, let me say that. James 2.9 says, but if you show partiality, you are committing sin. So if a minute ago when I was saying this is sin, you're like, no, no, it's just my preference. And maybe you weren't ready for James 2.9. But if you show partiality, you're committing sin and convicted by the law as transgressors. Now, this is where some people just think it's not a big deal. And it is a big deal. And it's had, this church has walked through challenges to get to the place where it is today, where it could say, you know, we're not seeking to show favoritism by race or by ethnicity. But this is the opposite of God's plan. The opposite of God's intent is for people to be seen as better or worse than one another. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. 1 John 4, 7 and 8 puts it this way. It says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. Whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. When you are loving to others, when you are free and working to be free, because it's an ongoing challenge, we're accustomed to people like us. It leads to favoritism in us, which ultimately leads to partiality, a sin for us. So we work against it by pushing against 
the sin of favoritism. And that begins to change ultimately who we are. Number five on our outline is the model of mercy. Number five is the model of mercy. Look at the outline, right? The temptation of favoritism, the perspective of God, the command of Jesus, the sin of favoritism, and then the model of mercy. This is James chapter two. You don't want to miss this, right? Beginning at verse 10. For whoever keeps the whole law but falls in this one point has become guilty of all of it. Let me just say that's an important principle that you need to hear in general. Because maybe earlier when I was saying, you know, the person pregnant outside of wedlock, the person who's, uh, who's committed a crime and maybe even a heinous crime, and you might say, well, my sin is less significant than their sin. Okay, so here's the irony. Here's the twist that James is bringing. He's basically saying, if you're partial to people who are rich or poor, and remember, that was just the example for what if or suppose, if you're partial to people, you're actually guilty of all of it. And that's, I think, part of the challenge that people think. They think God grades on a scale. He doesn't. He's holy and he's perfect. I'm a sinner. You're a sinner. By grace have I been saved. By grace have you been saved if you're a follower of Jesus. But don't miss this, right? You show partiality, you're guilty of all of it. For he said, do not commit adultery. Also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and act as those who are going to be judged under the law of liberty. I'm now free in Christ. I am free not to show partiality. I am free to care for people who are rich, who are poor, different race than me, different sin patterns than I've had. For don't miss this, right? That, so speak and act as those who are judged under the law of liberty, for judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. I don't want you to miss this because there are harsh words for people who show favoritism, for people who are judgmental, for people who look down on anyone else regardless of their condition. The answer is this, judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Can I just tell you, I could get up every day and rejoice with the phrase that mercy triumphs over judgment. That is the defining reality of my life and yours. So when I see someone who has made worse choices than me by the world standard, then I realize that my choices make me guilty of all the law. I say mercy triumphs over judgment. When I see somebody who is poor and I could just say, well, they're poor because of life choices that they've made. And then I might think there, but the grace of God go, I mercy triumphs over judgment. And when we begin to realize that reality, we live a different kind of life. Romans 15, 7 is a great reminder for us, an opposite of, impar- of, impartia- of partiality. It says this, therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. What a great reminder, right? So how do I live this idea, this model of mercy in Christ? Well, it's right here. Welcome one another, rich, poor, different races, different backgrounds, different cultures, different customs, different sin patterns, different struggles. That's what Moody Church strives to be. And if you're not a part of Moody Church, or maybe you're watching in the Chicagoland area, we're trying and we're growing and we've come a long way. I think you'd find that you'd be welcome here. When these doors are open again, you'd be welcome here. God's people who recognize that they themselves are Sinners saved by the grace of God would welcome you no matter what journey you've been on. But that's great that the church does so. Let me say something to you, though, personally. Jesus does so as well. I don't want you to miss this, right? Because when you know it's from Jesus, it changes 
changes everything. A lot of people are unsure. What have I done worse than anybody else? Here's the deal. We're guilty of all. If we're guilty of none and if we're guilty of some, we're guilty of the rest. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. Years ago, a soloist thrilled a London audience with her musical skills. You know, we have such great musicians here. But think back with me decades and decades ago. After the concert, a young preacher made his way through the admiring crowd and gained her attention, the soloist's attention, and said, young lady, while you were singing, I thought how tremendously the cause of Christ could be benefited if you would dedicate yourself and, the talent, and your talents to the Lord. But you are just as much a sinner and as the worst drunkard in the street as any harlot on Scarlet Street. But he added, the blood of Jesus Christ, God's son will cleanse you from all sin if you come to him, unquote. Might be a shocking phrase to begin a conversation with. So she actually was insulted. She says, you're very insulting, sir. And she started to walk away and he said, lady, I didn't mean any offense, but I pray the Spirit of God will convict you. That night she could not sleep. At two o'clock in the morning, Charlotte Elliott knelt at the side of her bed and she received Christ as her Lord and Savior. She came by grace and through faith, was forgiven of her sin. While sitting there, she wrote a few words. Let me share them with you. They go like this. Just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me and that thou bidst come to me, O Lamb of God, I come. Just as I am in waiting not to rid my soul of one dark blot, to thee whose blood can cleanse each spot, O Lamb of God, I come. Those words, which for many of us became familiar because of Billy Graham's use, but look here at Romans 5.8, but God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That is why you got no reason You've got no standing. You have no place to show favoritism because what God has done in Christ for you and for me. If you're watching today and you're not a follower of Jesus, I want to invite you to call with confidence upon these words. Christ died for sinners like you and for me, and you can receive him by grace and through faith. Take just a moment. Let's pray together and let's seek the Lord. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we come before you today and we do acknowledge that favoritism is birthed from a place of sin in our lives. And many today may need to repent of favoritism based on income, favoritism based on race, favoritism based on cultural background, favoritism based on what sins someone else has committed that are different than my sins. Father, I pray that right now you would speak to women and men watching this, all around the world watching, who might say right now, Lord, Forgive me for partiality. Forgive me for not seeing people like Jesus sees them. He'll forgive you if you just pray that. Say, Lord, forgive me. Cleanse my heart. Help me to root this out of my heart. While you're praying about that, maybe you're listening and you're not sure what it means to be a follower of Jesus. I want to invite you today. That by grace and through faith, you can receive Christ as your Lord and Savior. Just, just pray this prayer if it's a prayer of your heart. Just say, Lord Jesus, Forgive me of my sin. Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Lord, I give whatever my sin is, I give it to you. I confess it. I ask you to forgive it. And I receive the new life you have given me. Just as I am, I come. Father, I pray for those who just shared that, that they wouldn't leave even our streaming experience without sharing it at our comment card making sure somebody knows so somebody can share and help 
well, help one another to grow. Father, and help us all to grow spiritually, to overcome the tendency towards favoritism, the sin of partiality, whether it be rich or poor, whatever it may be, Lord, may we all say, just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me and that thou bidst me come to thee. O Lamb of God, I come. O Lamb of God, I come.